0: Okay, this is where we do the cute, quirky part. I don't really know what we're gonna talk about,
1: though. <laughs> oh no! I swear, I'm better in person, guys. Like, I know my voice sounds like Dora, but I swear, I'm like 19, and I'm a full-grown person. I'm not full-grown. We're still working on I it, mean, but yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> For the most part, you know, um, my name is Shasta. Not, not the soda. Well. I don't know the soda company, but I feel like they should owe me some royalties just because I was named Shasta. Yeah. um, my mo- I'm actually a junior. My mom's name's Shasta, too. Oh, okay. So, Fun
0: part. wait, so then in your name, does yours have, like, the one, two, three thing?
1: No, it doesn't. Oh, girl.
0: Ah, see, I never knew how those worked. I was always so yeah. confused. Okay. I just feel like she should
1: have, though. I really might legally change it to, like, Shast. Well, I can't. My last name's not the same as hers, now that I think about it.
0: I mean, you can always change your last name. I feel like you can
1: change your name whenever you want. I know, but I like my last name, because I'm, like, my dad's only child.
0: So I don't want to... Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know? Like, and I'm gonna. I'm planning to hyphenate it when I get married anyway, so...
0: Yeah, I thought about hyphenating my last name, and my last name's just too long. It's <laughs> <laughs> <There's> literally <laughs> ten letters, like, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to like that, yeah. Um, I did like your little intro in the beginning, though. Can I do, like, a little bit of mine? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, hi, hi guys. My name's Aporva Chatterbetty. Yes, the last name has ten letters. Um, <laughs> I am... Okay, we're both college students at UCLA, just as clueless as you are, but don't worry. We're here to help. Yeah. And I don't have anything fancy with my name, except actually, like, my family, we do this thing where... So, it's me and my two younger brothers, and we all have names that start with A, because Mm -hmm. in, like, the Indian um, school system, instead of ranking by last name, they rank by first name. So, whenever, like, their reasoning was, like, you know, whenever test scores would come out, they would put it on the board, right? Then, like, Mm -hmm. our names would be first. Like, I don't... (laughs) And also, (laughs) i mean like that was like maybe one reasoning but like also like a is like the first letter of the alphabet so it's supposed to be like i guess like a really like like a very good letter i guess like a very (laughs) what's it called like a signal of success you know what i mean Uh,
1: yeah yeah i like that i like that but like my kids i don't know what i'm gonna do (laughs) (laughs) name them z (laughs) yeah (laughs) literally
2: oh my god
0: So welcome back to the second episode of Adulting 101. I'm your co-host, Apurva Chattervetti,
1: and I'm your co-host Shasta Bowens. In the last episode we talked about the basics of the healthcare system, which is very helpful for all of whom, like myself, are diving straight into adulthood. We talked about the different kinds of healthcare, the different federal benefit programs, and the role that race plays in healthcare quality disparities. Now, if you haven't listened to that episode already, I highly suggest that you listen to that one before this
0: one. Yeah, definitely. That's a great episode to listen to. Our other two co-hosts, Caitlin and Malika, did that one, so definitely go check it out. And that episode helps us as a leeway into this episode where we focus more on the pandemic that's going on right now and you know how that's really exposed the racial divide in healthcare. This pandemic has shined a light on how this virus is adversely affecting people of color. It also reinforces the long-standing disparities due to the institutionalized racism in the United States healthcare system. This exposes the American government perpetuation of a white supremacist order in the modern day. Currently, the United States has over 1 million people infected with the virus and approximately 92,000 people have unfortunately passed away. This data is constantly changing and new predictions are being made, but it's a very scary and chaotic time. Before we go on to talk more about racial disparities occurring during this time, we should first discuss how this virus started and how it got to the United States.
1: Right, so the first thing that I wanted to clarify is the terminology that we use to describe this virus. I think that there are many different terms that can often be confusing for the public, let alone young adults, to understand. Mm -hmm. This is not the world's first coronavirus. Um, The term coronavirus actually refers to a family of viruses that cause mild to moderate upper respiratory tract illnesses, like the common cold, according to the National Institute of Health, or NIH for short. It is common to see these viruses occur within animals, such as bats and pigs, But when a human contracts the virus from an animal that
0: has the virus, this is called the spillover effect. And this is not the first time that a coronavirus has been contracted by humans. The NIH has noted two other particular cases, the SARS coronavirus, which emerged in 2002, and the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, which occurred in 2012 and still has periodic breakouts today. Just to clarify the wording, SARS refers to Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, which is the effect of the coronavirus. The coronavirus is denoted as COV. Also, there's a 2 at the end to indicate 2002. Thus, the SARS epidemic was denoted as SARS-CoV-2. For this particular pandemic, COVID-19 stands for a Coronavirus Disease 2019. So why is this virus, in general, wreaking havoc worldwide? What do you think? Oh, honestly, I don't know. Like, a lot of things unfolded in such a short amount of time. Right. So, on March 11th, 2020, the World Health Organization declared a pandemic. That's because this particular strain of the virus is highly contagious, and it spreads faster than the normal flu, which is influenza. While the first case of the virus on record were reported in Wuhan, China, in December of 2019... Recent news has shown that the virus was spreading around the country perhaps before then.
1: Right, and um, although we hear all this news about the curve flattening in some parts of the U.S., the situation in hospitals is still dire. The Atlantic has put together a video uh, where a group of emergency care doctors, physicians, nurses, and other hospital workers are describing their conditions in their hospital and this was put together and published on april 4th 2020 which is about a month ago i know now conditions have changed a little bit and they're trying to open up a little bit more of society again Mm -hmm. but i urge you guys to realize that that is not because we are getting healthier (laughs) that is because yeah (laughs) that's because one the economy is failing um and two because that just means like the hospitals might be able to accommodate more people, but they're still going through a very high population right now, and it's just really sad to see what the hospitals are going through. But back to the Atlantic source um, here we found a video of what the front line has to say about the virus and how it is seriously affecting people.
0: I see
2: EMS
0: stretchers lining down the block. It's jam-packed waiting room filled with 30 to 40 patients next to each other coughing, giving COVID-19
1: to one another. There is physically no more room in the emergency room. You bring any more patients in, then you cannot walk. We had a few patients die in the emergency room because the hospital's full.
3: All I'm seeing are people who are vulnerable people who are weak, people who are scared. And I'm not gonna lie, it's making me scared. You hear about people dying and suffering from it, but it's a whole other thing to see this stuff uh, up close.
0: The proportion of patients that are critically ill, younger, people that look just like us and older, it's, uh, it's overwhelming.
2: Uh, the morgues are already getting overwhelmed.
3: It just feels like you're standing on the shore looking at a tsunami, and the federal government is offering you a life preserver. If you get x-rays every few hours on these patients, you tend to see them get worse in real time. You can actually see those cloudy patches um, increase over the course of one, two, three, four hours. I saw a gentleman in his 70s, he looked really well. When I came back the following day to check his chart, he had had passed away within the
2: 24-hour period of time uh you know they're they're talking to me like I am talking to you, and then a few hours later, they are they go into sudden respiratory arrest, they stop breathing, and they need to be intubated and This is one of the most dramatic things that I've ever seen
1: so the so let's think about this the building is on fire. we're all firefighters
0: inside trying to put out this fire, but we're naked right because they didn't protect us. Wow, that definitely was a lot. Because you don't think
1: you just, you see someone one day and you don't see them the next day, but you don't even know what's going on in the inside. You don't know how fast this virus is working. Like, I think most people just take this kind of for granted. They're like, oh, this is not too serious. But then these doctors are really seeing it firsthand.
0: It's just so easy for us because we're in our homes. We're, like, avoiding the outside world, but, like, we don't actually know, like, The war that's like going on in the hospitals and like when I was watching this video like when you know one of the doctors talks about how within 24 hours like he loses a patient that just like breaks my heart and I'm like you know people can try to sugarcoat it and be like oh well it doesn't affect children as much which actually now that's not true they're actually finding that children are being affected three months after the fact you know, when they sugarcoat it and say, like, oh, no, we're fine. Like, young people will be fine. Like, no, like, that was a perfectly healthy person, and he passed away mm-hmm. within a day. And that's just, like, I just, it's definitely a lot, a lot to
1: handle. I know. I just feel like we should do something for, like, our primary um, people on the front lines because they've never seen this before in their lifetimes either. So it's kind of like a new experience for both of us. Like, we're all learning how the best to work with we have but like they said the federal government is not being as helpful as Mm
0: -hmm. most
1: people think they are or the federal government thinks they are so I think it's just kind of scary like what do you turn to when your government is not helping you deal with like these crises or not helping you save these people and that's what you're just there to do that's all you can do for them
0: at least for me like going back to normal definitely is something I have to think about before I could just, like, leave my door, just go back to school. And sometimes I can't even fathom, like, what life was like before this because, like, now I overthink about everything. Right. And I'm like, there's germs here, there's germs there. i got to protect myself. I go outside for a walk. I come in, I wash my hands immediately, even though I didn't really, you know, have close contact with anyone. It's yeah. just something, you know, it's just now, like, a habit. And now it's just, like, crazy. Yeah. I don't, I think
1: I took a walk today. And mm-hmm. you just automatically notice, like, it feels weird if you don't have your mask on. Like, since when does that become a thing? Like, feeling awkward because when you, you walk out and you're not covered in the necessary PPE, just imagine all these doctors show not being able to have, like, what they need to do their jobs right there and right then. They're getting this mm-hmm. effect that we're having in our households times a thousand because there's so many people and the possibility of them risking their own lives to try to save them. It's just, I don't know. I'm really grateful for them, but it's also just like a scary time. It's new for everybody. It's just,
0: yeah. And like, that's interesting that you say, you know, walking outside with your PPE because, you know, cause um, if you guys don't know this, Shasta's in, you're in California right now, yeah. right? Yeah. Which part, like which city? Um,
1: I don't know. I'm in like the Inland Empire, if you know where that is. So, kind of riverside no, area. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I'm it's so right. sorry. No, it's fine. Like, the purpose from very far. It's Chicago, right?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm like 40 minutes from the city. Yeah,
1: so very different parts of the U.S., but still like the yeah. same effects, kind of. It's mm-hmm. still just that just shows you how that's everywhere over the U.S., it's not just one part, it's affecting everybody
0: definitely this is a lot of heavy stuff so if you guys have not seen that video go ahead and check it out it was posted by The Atlantic Um, and definitely you know here's some perspectives of the healthcare workers that are on the front line right now doing everything that they can to help us during this time and you know putting their lives at risk too Right.
1: It's not new information that this virus is affecting people worldwide. However, there are more dire cases in communities of color. Some may even say that this virus is targeting people of color. The Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center has provided a concise and easy way for people to look at statistics about the virus, seeing the curves, and most importantly, data that shows how different communities of color are being affected. Also, according to the site, every year, thousands of African-American, American American Indian, and Latinx babies are born into poverty and other adverse circumstances, putting them at risk for obesity, heart disease, diabetes, and asthma. It also does more. It doesn't just do that. It explains that those those people who come from lower socioeconomic statuses do not have the same access to the healthcare resources as the other counterparts of higher statuses, Therefore, they face more of the health problems, including Mm -hmm. obesity, asthma, neurocognitive disorders, mental health diagnoses. Not to mention, with America's longstanding history of medical racism, even implicit and internalized bias, racial minority communities, particularly the black community, are especially susceptible to a lesser quality of health care, which has even been proven via various experiments.
0: You know, I definitely agree. And this, along with structural racism components of geography, law, and economics, you know, are the real reason why these communities are so heavily subjected to the aforementioned chronic diseases and heavier morbidity rates. If you're not convinced yet, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. The data really supports this. In a recent and relevant article about COVID effects on communities of color, the Harvard Gazette stated that out of... 580 hospitalized COVID-19 patients, approximately 45% were white, 33% were black, and 8% were Hispanic, suggesting that black populations might be disproportionately affected. Another Washington Post analysis revealed that in places such as Chicago and Louisiana, African Americans account for 67 to 70% of COVID-19-related deaths, while representing only 32% of the overall population. In each case, the percentage of deaths of Black people who contracted the virus is higher than their population percentage in that area. Basically, this virus isn't an equal killer after all.
1: Wow. So, I guess with all these statistics, we are trying to show that the numbers don't lie when it comes to the racial disparities. Like, some people Mm -hmm. might brush it off when it doesn't affect them, but we can't do that.
0: Oh my gosh. I just feel like there's just so much you can say. And kind of reflect upon with these statistics, I mean, it's obviously clear that there's a larger proportion of African-Americans that are being affected by this virus. And I feel like an article from The Atlantic called um, Stop Blaming Black People for Dying of the Coronavirus does a really good job of like presenting these facts as a racial pandemic rather than a viral pandemic. And I mean, this is clearly seen by the data we just stated.
1: Yeah, so going off of the um, idea of the racial pandemic, it really just speaks to the culture of poverty. Like, we had this one professor from the class that we were both taking, Professor Ortiz, UCLA, shout out to you, whoop, whoop. Um,
2: (laughs) She (laughs) did a whole
1: presentation about the culture of poverty from her lecture. One of the main takeaways we got is the lack of resources that people in these lower social classes have. And it's due to blaming the victim and people saying that they're lazy, like they don't want to get a job. Uh, but it also does a great job at ignoring the historical privileges that other groups have had, especially like white people. And how those privileges had, have led into current systems or current um, patterns that we see now of why black people are so more heavily affected by heavy chronic diseases that even makes them more susceptible to the COVID pandemic. So it's really not their fault when it's the institutionalized racism that is the reason that they are in the situation or they have the health patterns that they already do which just makes them further like susceptible. It's just you know, things that are out of their control, but mm-hmm. now it's being looked at more as oh it's because of their culture as to why they're being so heavily affected.
0: Yeah. I see what you mean. It's kind of going off like this whole idea of like racializing people overall like racialization saying like you know oh they're they're being lazy or they can't do the job or they can't do this but really that's not the case and you know I I mean we were both in the same class and I remember like you know we would read articles about how I I don't know if I'm going to be able to quote this from the right source (laughs) but I remember just like in general we would read articles about how African-American families that were pretty well off couldn't buy land or like buy property in like the quote white neighborhood mm-hmm. and if they tried to then like within a day or two they would get like a notice saying that they have to like move and find someplace else to live because they're on like the wrong territory Right. and I didn't even know that kind of like happened like personally like I didn't I mean maybe that's my fault because I didn't take like a push in high school <laughs> but like that could that even happened, like to this day I just think that that's so like that's really showing that it is institutionalized it's something that's been enforced by an organization mm-hmm. and you can't blame them you can't blame you know minorities or you can't blame people of color and say like oh they're the reason why they can't get out of their own working class or whatever which I feel like even saying that is really offensive you know but you can't people can't make that claim without understanding that it's something that they can't get out of if history has proven time and time again that they're not going to help them, and they're going to try to find ways to not let them succeed and to not let them grow. And that rejects the idea of, like, the American dream, Mm -hmm. and how you think that anyone can go from rags to riches, you know, with, like, capitalism. (laughs) But (laughs) clearly, in, like, this kind of situation, if you're not the ideal American, then you're not going to be able to like rise up and like you know provide for your family and stuff. If there's already things in the system that are against you for something that you can't control, right? And I feel like that is it's something that happened, you know, like long, long time ago, and like it's still its effects are like really prevalent today because of the pandemic, and you're not allowing them. To get the sources that they need you know right and it's just like a lot definitely to unpack you can say like oh well, that was in history like what are we gonna do now well what we can do now is help each other and try to find ways to like you know obviously like stay at home but like try to find ways to like point out the problems in the healthcare system and stand up for others who might not have their voices be heard
1: right and a lot of the um the public health disparities they come from like housing segregation and all the laws mm-hmm. that we've talked about in class and all the racial like laws that made it a point to keep people non-white Americans out of the communities that weren't built for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I now know that like history is not really that far away as we think it is because it's still being oh, perpetuated yeah. in modern day and mm-hmm. that's why people in the communities of color today are dealing with the heavy effects of the COVID-19. It's not like just the SARS epidemic, because it's still happening in 2020. So that's just the fact that we still have these racial disparities in the healthcare system and other politics that make it so that these groups are still disadvantaged when it comes to situations like this. Mm -hmm. But um, that doesn't mean to, it doesn't serve to try to make it, like, sorry, you guys will never have a chance of, like, being as good as the white people have. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) equal in um terms of having the resources to deal with public crises like this mm-hmm. but it just says that like we still have a lot of work to do we oh, still 100%. have a lot to like yeah we still have a lot to improve on that we could improve on so mm-hmm. that maybe for our next generation so our kids don't have to hear that these communities are still being disproportionately affected by public health like crises like this so hopefully, by their generation, will be better, which is kind of why podcasts like this are necessary, you know, for us at a young age, so that we don't keep perpetuating the same cycles as the people before us have, to try to break the cycle. Um, but, you know, there are a few things that you could do. If you want to research these topics, there's plenty of academia surrounding it, or just normal mm-hmm. news sources, if you're not <laughs> trying to, dissect, like, decipher the language of higher up academia. A lot of this could help you look into what you can do to stop the cycle or to mm-hmm. dismantle the little instances of institutionalized racism that perpetuate the same disadvantages and disparities in the healthcare system that we see today.
0: Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to kind of add upon that before we go back to the rest of the episode. Something that just hit me is um I did take one history class. It was AP Euro. (laughs) (laughs) I took AP Euro with Mrs. Beicher. Shout out, Mrs. Beicher, but she does
3: not. (laughs) She
0: probably, I haven't talked to her in so long, you know, because it was sophomore year. Um, But at the time, our president was elected because it was 2016. And she was very, very liberal and also one of the sweetest teachers ever. And she had this soap box, and she would stand on this box when she was having, like, a soap opera moment. And she normally never used it, but this particular time, she, you know, with the whole election and everything, it was a very tense time at my school. And I remember, like, just going about that day, like, being just so, like, scared to talk to people. And, like, I was just, like, I didn't want to offend anybody because it was just such a tense time, you know what I mean? So she stood on this soap box, and she said, like, I know it's, like, a really rough time right now. And you think that like we were going ahead and and moving further, like you know, with when President Barack Obama was elected, but now we've swung back, and it seems like history is repeating itself. And then, she gave like a really good analogy. So she she went on the whiteboard, she drew out this timeline, and then she put a pendulum like at the top, and she was like, basically, history is like a pendulum, mm-hmm. and it's gonna swing back and forth and back and forth. And the best thing that like we can do is to slow that swing. And maybe even push it in a new direction and maybe, like, prevent that swinging back and forth so we don't have to go back and deal with the problems that we had in the past, you know? Right. Definitely, like, kind of like what you were saying earlier, how it's really important for us to be educated and be aware of, like, who we're going to be electing for this upcoming election, especially. And, you know, how how can we find better health care for everybody? Um, I feel like that was like something that she said that really has stuck with me to this day and it's like kind of the reason why I want to like have an impact. And like even though I might be like a quote like coll- uh, clueless college student right now, I really do think it's important to educate yourself and like really understand everything that's going on in the world and like hear it from a new perspective.
1: She's a genius. That's so like that's so true.
0: On a lighter note, there are a few guidelines that can help mitigate the effects of this virus in these communities, given the current structures already in place. Now, if you're a member of one of these communities, a healthcare provider, or just interested in learning more, I suggest checking out the CDC website. It has a tab entitled People Who Need Extra Precautions with some general tips that can be done to lessen these communities' burden. This section can also be helpful for others at risk, including pregnant women, people with disabilities, and the homeless.
1: Yes, yeah, so in this time of need, if you're in a place to be able to help anybody, um, especially those people that are on that list, um, and especially people who are getting hit especially hard by this pandemic, please, please, please give and do what you can because everyone deserves
0: decent health care. Of course. Um... Now, Shasta, I know that there are some places that aren't being reported um, that, you know, aren't even maybe on that list. Are there any other areas that are highly subjected to the dire effects of the outbreak right now? Yeah, definitely. You know, because media can't cover everything. But as we know,
1: this pandemic is hitting the country the highest in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and other states. There's also one area that is being strongly hit, where there's a lack of resources and access to help. A lot of people may not know this, but this is the Navajo Nation. While you may not often see or hear about the Navajo Nation in like mainstream media and other reservations in the United States, it is super important that we are aware of that this is affecting them as well. Um, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, the reservations, although sovereign, are being affected just as much. Or even more by the public health crisis. They also have a long standing history of being supplied with ins- insufficient resources, making their communities just that more susceptible to the virus spreading. That also means that they're not equipped for the toll that this virus will take on their community.
0: Yeah, in our research, we found a news report from CNN where the anchor. Mr. Cuomo interviews the president of the Navajo Nation, Jonathan Nez, who talks more about what his people are facing. Here's the clip.
3: Right. Now, here's what bothers me, okay? Uh, This story piqued my interest not because it's a good story for New York um, and my brother being the governor. It's because it is appalling Mm -hmm. to me that New York has to cut a deal or get into a cooperation agreement with the Navajo Nation in Arizona. I mean, where the hell is the federal Mm -hmm. government? And then we start doing the research, and everything people were telling me is true. You're getting bad tests. They're telling you you got to pay for your own tests. Uh, They're not paying attention to the information. Mm -hmm. They're not coming to you. And it's not like they're doing you a favor. You have agreements with the government Mm -hmm. about what they're supposed to do and not do. What is the reality about how you have been respected or disrespected under what's supposed to be the law.
2: Absolutely. We have a treaty relationship, a special relationship with the federal government. 150 plus years ago, our Navajo citizens were taken off of this land, taken on a long walk over 400 plus miles to a place called Fort Sumner. And they were ready to take us to Oklahoma and Florida. But our ancestors Back then, and our uh, leaders back then said, no, we want to go back to our homeland. And so they uh, signed that treaty, and that treaty was our reason for going back to our homeland. There was a reciprocal relationship here where the Navajo people at that time said, United States, if you were ever in trouble, Navajo people will be there to help. And guess what, Chris? You probably heard about the Navajo Code Talkers utilizing our language in order to win World War II. So tribal nations throughout the country have contributed greatly to this free country of ours. And guess what? And sometimes the first citizens of this country are at the bottom of the list when it comes to federal aid. And that's what uh, we have been trying to say for the past uh, uh, several weeks now is, okay, why doesn't federal aid go directly to tribal nations rather than a pass-through through through federal government uh federal agencies or the states it shall go directly to the citizen that is intended for
3: and it's no irony uh that you know we had a nurse on last night from phoenix uh who went out and silently stood in the middle of a protest of people saying that this was a violation of their freedom making them stay home and meanwhile you got the reservation there number three in case concentration, uh, and you're having to reach out to states on the other side of the country to get help because the federal Mm -hmm. government uh, is leaving you in the breach. So, President uh, Nez, I wanted people to know the reality. Uh, Please know you've got a channel um, through me to tell people the reality of what's happening
2: on the reservation. Well, let me just end with this, Chris. You know, this is a, a great example of a sovereign state, state of New York, in a sovereign tribal nation working together because of the lack of federal resources and aid. You know, Andrew, myself, we're not just gonna feel sorry for ourselves. We're gonna step up and bless our citizens' hearts for stepping up to the plate to help each other out. This is a great story of resilience, of overcoming tough times, and we're all in this together, Chris, all of us throughout the country. We all need to listen to those healthcare professionals Those doctors, those nurses, those police officers out there, there are warriors on the front lines that are there helping our citizens. So let's all around the country listen to those healthcare professionals. And the best place to be right now is at home. Thank you, Chris.
3: It is the right message, Mr. President. Thank you for delivering on the show. And again, uh, we are a call away. God bless you, and I wish you the best there. And I hope that this is in some way uh, able to make its way through without too much damage to the people that you're in charge of. Thank you, Mr. President.
0: Oh, wow, that was definitely a lot. So that clip was from CNN, from the Andrew Cuomo show. Um, He's a really great CNN anchor, and he interviewed the president of the Navajo Nation. Obviously, they're doing it virtually. Like, the interview is virtual. But, yeah, Shasta, what did you think about the interview and kind of what was going on, what they were talking about?
1: Well, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but he mentioned that, like, his brother is the mayor. or Is it the mayor or the governor?
0: He's the governor ah, of okay, New York. He okay,
1: governor. Yeah, his, um, his brother is the governor, and basically the fact that, like, the New York had to make an agreement with Arizona in order to give the Navajo Nation the necessary supplies they need in order to deal with this. And they brought up the point, like, why isn't mm-hmm. the federal government doing that? Like, that's something they should be doing in accordance with the treaties that they had previously outlined with the Navajo Nation. And then, like, mm-hmm. even President Jonathan Nez, he also was talking about how they had these treaties for over, like, 150 years. But now that it's really time for them to step up and, like, aid them in a way that that's necessary to try to preserve, like, any type of public health system that they have, the federal government's nowhere to be seen. And it's sad that, like, another state
0: has to step in and do that job for them. And, like, one thing that, you know, the interview doesn't really go into, because it's more like background knowledge, but what a lot of people might not know, is that, like, people who are living on these reservations don't necessarily have the same access to the resources that, like, people who aren't on the reservations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes access to water, medicine, um, going to the grocery store, it's just, it's a very long journey or it just, you know, isn't really well provided to them, unfortunately. And I think we talked about that Mm -hmm. a lot in our class in fall quarter. If you guys don't know, I mean, (laughs) we're for we we're, you know, of our show, we are four students who go to UCLA and we're by the quarter system. So in the beginning of the year for our class, we kind of talked about what life is like on the reservations and how there is constant tension between the tribal nations and the federal government. And there just seems to be these issues that to this day, hundreds of years later, just like aren't solved. And I feel like that can be really tied to this problem of, you know, healthcare and, and disparities because the Navajo Nation is fighting the pandemic just like we are, but the federal government right. and other entities that are in the United States aren't really going out and helping these people. And it's it must be so frustrating that they have to ask help from, like, state governments that are nowhere nearby them, you know, New York's across the country, mm-hmm. to get some help. And I feel like that's just really unfair and really... It just really speaks... It speaks volumes to how our healthcare system is set up and how it's really not helping those who have been on the land first and who have been there time through time for the country
1: right so um that kind of brings us to our bigger question like are we still living in a white supremacist world even though it's 2020 what do you think
0: oh honestly I feel like that's such a tough question to ask but like there are definitely hints where I feel like, yeah, it just feels like we're taking a step back Mm -hmm. in history and we're going backwards and and not going forwards. And can you blame that solely on the government? Like, I guess you could definitely like place it on just, you know, our president and like the way things are going right now. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have to understand that there's people who are supporting him. So there's people out there who still have this mentality, and I feel like that's what makes me more sad, is that there's people who are favoring this kind of white supremacist way of thinking, though they may not realize it or may not want to call it that. But, you know, there's people out there, and I feel like we just have to take the time to educate them and make them realize, like, you know, what's really going on and have them live the world through someone else's shoes.
1: Right, what you were saying. I just think it's so, like, structurally embedded or even just in the back of our heads. We don't even think about it sometimes. The little hints or, I don't know what the word for, but there's just these little, for lack of a better word, the sublimations in your head from Mm -hmm. different influences growing up in just the United States. You're definitely, I know growing up, you're definitely exposed, like, you learned, u.s history and you learn the polished over version that they want you to hear the white supremacist version um so to speak Mm -hmm. but that also plays into now we grow up to these be these young adults and that's all we've ever known we don't even know the actual history that's going on behind it or what people had to go through in order for these amazing u.s accomplishments that we like value right now but are there really accomplishments if when it comes down to it when it's a public health crisis and the whole world is going through it if we're still not able to take care of other people in the same manner just because they are not white or they're not so to speak U.S. citizens like we talked about in our class how citizenship is really just a social construct and technically it's something Mm -hmm. that we just made up and the fact that some people are getting more access to health care, like you're telling me I can't live because of a social construct or I'm not worthy or as worthy to get care because of maybe the color of my skin or because of a made up, I was born on U S land. I just think that's really disheartening because it's like, have we made any progress at all? Like the questions that older generations have had to face, I kind of feel like they're just reincarnate reincarnated in modern day, so to speak. Because mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, like, when it comes down to it and everything just hits the fan, everybody's going through the same thing. Like, we all are susceptible to getting this virus. We all are losing family members or people we love because of it. And we all didn't anticipate it. Like, we all we weren't prepared for the fact that these people that mm-hmm. are depending on – The federal government are not getting the same amount of help (sighs) for something that's so completely out of their control is just really sad because it's something that I can't do personally. But I guess as a young adult, it just shows you, it just makes you think about who you're putting in office. Think about like when you're going to vote are these people gonna help a community that they might not be a part of, or are they just gonna look out for the people they came from? You know, are they going to look out for the whole U.S. or are they just going to continue to perpetuate the institutional racism that's already embedded in our
0: healthcare system? And like one thing I wanted to note is like at the end of the interview, right? The president, from my understanding, I feel like he kind of says some nice words of thank you or respect at the end, you know, in his own um, in his own native language, and um, I thought that was really. Really important and a really valuable thing that he did because I feel like it shows that like this idea like he's still paying respect and he's still being super nice, even though, you know, Navajo Nation is struggling right now, but he still like went out of the way to thank the interview and like do that in front of millions of people who are watching on the television. And I feel like that really brings to the point that like they're not enemies and I don't know who characterized people that aren't Caucasian as enemies. Right throughout history there have been like racial biases and saying like oh they're the other they're the aliens we can't trust them but like he just you know at the end of the interview just said something so sweet and I feel like personally I've that was something that was nude for me like I have never seen an interview and it was something so you know precious and like wholehearted you know yeah so I feel like like even though they're actually like amazing people they're wonderful people but because of the institutionalized racism and kind of like our history, people like can't seem to get out of that. and that's when you know these divides happen and that's why like they're struggling out there because the federal government still to this day sees them as the other and not as one of them or not as you know people that they can be allies with or, or people that they can you know make peace mm-hmm. with. And I feel like, it really warmed my heart to hear him like say something so like precious and like give like thank you and pay his respects. he expressed gratitude and I thought that was really a valuable piece at the end to include in the interview and I feel like that really highlights that like we shouldn't be characterizing people when you don't know enough about them and I feel like it's now time for us to get beyond this idea of, like, oh, they're separate from us. They're aliens. They don't belong here, even right. though they were there first, you know? So, and it's just really unfortunate to hear, like, how that kind of idea has stemmed through this day where now they can't get access to the, to the resources that they need. And they're struggling with this pandemic right now. I mean, as, as any other state, but we're not really aware about it it was the first time I heard about the Navajo nation and kind of what they were going through. And I thought that was also important to point out, you know, like how even the news can be biased too. Mm-hmm.
1: I definitely agree. Yeah. And I just think it's mm-hmm. necessary
0: that like we go out of our way
1: more to look for these people telling their stories or how they're being impacted by this virus too. Cause it really makes you, it takes you out of your own home. And it kind of gives you more of an empathetic view of like how this virus is affecting everybody and it's not just what the media shows you because the media is can it's the great perpetuator of fear but it's not necessarily telling everybody's mm-hmm. standpoint or like how some people have more to fear because they also don't have the same access to um resources that they need to help take away I mean not take away but mitigate the effects of the virus you know or the effects on their community mm-hmm. so um, i just think it's necessary that we find more personal stories from people that are different from you to understand that this virus is really affecting people differently from where they come from and it's not just because of like minute factors or environmental factors but also has a lot to do with like the way our society is spe- like set up and just the systems that we have in place mm-hmm. the governmental systems and how every bit of health care is political so just you know think about that
0: and that's the T. And that's... the tea. <laughs> but that's, like, low-key... I know it's definitely, like, a lot to unpack for our, like, listeners who are, you know, like us, probably clueless college I'm students. Sure. But, like, honestly, it's really important that we're aware during this time because we're the next population that... I mean, population group, whatever you want to call it, that's gonna vote in the upcoming election. Right. And we're really gonna be the ones that Are going to decide like who's gonna come in next because I feel like our generation especially is like pretty it's pretty huge like from Mm. my understanding and like we could definitely have a positive impact if we just you know open our minds and and hear different stories and then pick the person who's gonna who's gonna help us the most to be president or you know not even just the presidential elections but even starting really low at the local elections and picking who you want to vote for locally, because those people will have a more direct effect on you and what you're doing uh, in your day-to-day life, you know? Yeah.
1: Sorry, guys. That was a lot. That was definitely a lot. That was a lot to unpack on you guys. I know that's kind of hard, because adults are somewhat clueless and yeah. somewhat carefree but at the end of the day you know you might be wondering how all this governmental stuff or like the big picture how this may apply to you um so just to tie back to like the two major things that we've covered in this episode see how you can do your part in your community um and one important thing is to stay home mm-hmm. that is way yeah is way more important than you may think like just staying home you are not only protecting yourself and your family, but you're also just preventing other people. You're being considerate of the rest of the people in your community, because you may not even know you have the virus, to be honest, because some people are asymptomatic and not don't even know they carry it. But um, exactly. you're protecting a lot of people by staying home. So, like, I know many of us are experiencing cabin fever, um, but there's always different ways to keep yourself busy and your family occupied, so some new hobbies or whatever you may be doing. To um, <laughs> friends over the phone. Make Zoom calls. You know, clean up the house. I'm pretty sure everybody has something we can clean in our house. Nobody lives in, like, a house, but um, And then do what you need to do to stay occupied. But we must learn to also social distance and stay healthy and take care of yourselves while you're in the house because that's what we need to do to help um, us be able to be productive for our future and make the changes that we want to make. We want things to start looking better then we really need to do our part at home and just do our part within ourselves. And that will do a lot for the community doing their part as a whole.
0: Exactly. I agree 100%. You know, I think another issue that this pandemic has really highlighted is that our country needs to start making changes in the healthcare system to fix all the racial disparities and be prepared for the future. Mm -hmm. Because when you have goggles that block out what's happening to other people, or like what's happening in the hospitals, it can be really hard to realize that people are being right. affected. I guess this virus is blind in a sense. It mm-hmm. is impacting everybody, no matter what background, no matter you know, who has access to what, no matter who you are, this virus can affect you. And I feel like that's something that we really need to understand. And you know, kind of like what you were saying, Shasa, is the best way we can try to help is do our part and stay home and social distance and you know, be educated as well and understand what's going mm-hmm. on. I feel like just like this coronavirus pandemic reinforces the long-standing disparities due to the institutionalized racism in the United States healthcare system. And it really exposes how the government is perpetuating a white supremacist order in the modern day. And I feel like this indicates us taking a step backwards into history, you know, rather than making um, positive gains and moving forward for our future. But, you know, like at the end of the day, We're all human, and we need to take care of I completely agree.
1: Like, how can you make a difference and solve the racial disparities in the healthcare system? It's quite simple. Like, you just listen to what's happening in the news, and don't—I wouldn't even stop there, because the news is going to tell one story, but as the president of the Navajo Nation has already told us, there are many different stories that are not being covered by the main media. So I would just look for other alternative means of news also to hear— um, other perspectives and how this is affecting their communities. And especially for this upcoming election, um, listen to each of the candidates' plan for healthcare. I feel like that's very necessary. Listen to the facts and the plans they have to help people, people across the board, people who are not um, necessarily just upper class or people who are not necessarily just white or fit into the white category, but people that are lower class, people that are black, mm-hmm. that are green, purple, who cares what you look like, you know? <laughs> really just looking to help yeah. people rather than just looking for a check or just trying to be a peer as like the perfect politician who's looking to help people and the key is to helping everybody not just yourself for your own benefit
0: well i know that was definitely a lot but thank you so much for listening to today's episode We hope that you learned something new that helped you adult a little bit better. Have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Bye.